0: To the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics blog. I am Adam Motenko with me as always my twin brother Josh Motenko.
1: This is my favorite podcast of all time already. Let's do this.
2: I'm so excited for today. <laughs> and our good friend Mike Minkoff. Wait, did, did something happen today? What's going on?
0: Yeah, the Celtics season is over. Romeo Langford had a good game. We're going to talk all about it. Wait a second. No, 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 no. Danny Ainge retires. And oh. even more shocking, Brad Stevens takes over as president of basketball operations for the Celtics. I was floored when I
1: saw this news. Shocked. Really? I feel, yeah. like, I feel like I saw, I mean, I didn't guess that Brad Stevens was going to be promoted to president of basketball operations, but I saw this coming for a while. I've been wondering when we would do a pod about who's going to take over for Danny Ainge. You know, is it going to be Mike Zarin? Could it possibly be Brad Stevens? And I kind of, I just saw the writing on the wall. Danny's had a long career. He's getting up there in age. He's had the heart issues, um, and you know it's kind of a controversial time in Boston sports. I feel like, uh, and I just see that this is this seems like good timing for him to pass things off.
0: Josh, you put that question into Josh. You put that question: Who is Danny Ainge's successor in our notes? And I, I for it was for the podcast we did with Michael Holly, and I can't remember if we asked him and talked briefly about it or not. But the assumption. Had always been uh, that Mike Zarin would take over whenever whenever Danny was ready to retire. I didn't think it would be this soon. Mike, what do you? What was your reaction?
2: Yeah, I was I was completely surprised. I I did not at all see this coming at this point in time. I, and Josh, you absolutely were all over this. I was—I was, I was going to give you credit for that.
0: I, my first, uh, my second reaction after just being surprised was, was this actually Danny Ainge's decision? I started wondering, uh, did the ownership group uh, succumb to pressure from the fan base of, to make some changes this year? But the way that they're framing it, Mark Murphy uh, is, is tweeting out that Danny Ainge told ownership that it of his decision to step down shortly after the March twenty-five trade deadline. Um, and the way that the ownership and, and everybody's presenting this is that this is an orchestrated decision. Once Danny Ainge mentioned that, they then decided to, to move Brad Stevens into that role. We can speculate as to why Brad might be interested in doing just the presidency role, not coaching anymore. This is not a Greg Popovich-type situation where he's president and coach. I'm glad for that. Um, I, the question I have here is, is this a good thing for the Celtics?
1: Well, for, first, let me. I got a. I got a whole thank you note here for uh, for Danny Ainge. I feel like we need to pay Danny his due, um, and and I think honestly that this has been in the works for a couple of years now with Danny. Um, I think that this all goes back to Red Auerbach. I think that the main thing that 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 happened here is that Celtics pride is. And, and kind of continuity of that is maintained with homegrown guys, at least at the professional level, and Brad Stevens uh, taking over in a new position now that he understands what Celtics pride is all about and keeping that tradition alive. Um, and that's kind of the bridge that Danny Ainge made from Red Auerbach. You know, he was around, he understood how Red did things and, and the savvy and, and leprechaun luck that Red had and, and honestly continued that. Um, and if Brad stays a while and can handle the job, that's the best way to continue having good people and maintaining tradition in the same, at the same time. Um, so hopefully it creates continued continuity and institutional legacy. Um, and that this is obviously a youth movement and an internal uh, intentional transition for Ainge, kind of starting with him turning over the training staff who had been there for you know, 30, 40 years with Ed Lesert and uh, hiring Allison Feaster into the front office Kara Lawson into the coaching staff, just bringing new blood new types of personnel, new perspectives, um, but trying to maintain that institutional knowledge at the same time. And, you know, look, we've seen from afar what happened to the tradition and continuity with the Philadelphia 76ers and New York Knicks over the last 20 years since, you know, that Danny Ainge has been involved. Um, and, you know, when, when they hire veteran NBA minds who weren't really invested in the team before their contract, or young smart people with new ideas who also don't understand the tradition of the franchise, things went terribly wrong. I mean, it's kind of like the the Celtics. If that were to happen to the Celtics, it would it would feel like Marty McFly's 1984 alternate with Biff as the president and, and Back to the Future too. And Danny didn't want that to happen. And so I think this is all super intentional. Started a couple of years ago, and he's he's turning the whole franchise over to. Younger people who can maintain the legacy, the tradition, the Celtics history, and most of all, Celtics pride. Danny
0: Ainge is 62 years old. We called him a little over a year ago a top three GM in the league. Mm -hmm. He's been in this role for 18 years. Uh, I think he's done a phenomenal job, and I think kudos is absolutely in order. I'm appreciative of what Danny Ainge has done for this team. It's been far more interesting to watch since he took over.
1: Thanks, Danny. And I wonder if Danny's going to stick around in some kind of consultant capacity, uh, like some of the former great GMs who are still around. Uh, like Jerry West. Like Jerry West.
2: Yeah, I mean, just echoing what you guys said, absolutely thanks to Danny. Uh, that 2007-8 championship run um, was certainly the the pinnacle of my Celtics fandom, at least as a uh, <laughs> sentient to it. Um there was uh, the entire lead-up was was pretty fun with uh, the you know chances to to root for the Yuri Jerry, Jerry Welshes of the world, and, you know, root for uh, Mark Blunt's contract uh, both to be signed and then immediately to be removed as quickly as possible once he phoned it in. Um, Danny took a crazy kind of salary situation, made us a, a a team that actually had salary cap space. We hired, we signed like legit top, um, free agents on the market and, back to back years. Uh, it, it's, it, we've had a, a pretty exciting run with Danny at, at the helm. So, uh, just fully agree. Many, many thanks to Danny Ainge for, for his leadership. Uh, yeah. not, not perfect, but, but very good.
1: And as Keith Smith of Celtics blog reminds us, the Danny made 66 trades, 32 of them before the Pierce Garnett deal and 34 of them after. Um, you know, just a lot of trades in, in what, 13 years was it 18. 18, 18 years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He was a phenomenal drafter too, and he doesn't get enough credit for that. Every GM has hits and has misses. He, he had a larger percentage of hits than most other GMs and, uh, fans tend to look at the, the misses, uh, well, you should have drafted Giannis. Well, almost every team in the league should have drafted Giannis. Uh, so there's always going to be those those types of moves, and and a lot of times you make a move and you don't know whether it's going to be good or not. A lot of GMs will tell you the best moves they ever made were the ones they didn't make, um, so Danny's done a phenomenal, phenomenal job, and I think he's going to be missed in that role. Uh, I want to get your guys' opinion on whether you think this is a good thing for the Celtics. It's hard for me not to feel like we just went from having, in, in our opinion, a top three head of the front office with 18 years in that role and a top five-ish coach with eight years in that role to now an unproven front office head and an unclear coaching situation. It doesn't feel like a good trade in the short term, at least.
2: I, I think it's, I don't know if good is quite the right word. I think it was, it was a necessary thing. I mean, we. Sure we talked a lot about the need for different voices in the room and different voices in that decision-making apparatus for the team. Um, And that's not meant to disparage any of the... Because we didn't want to say it was because, you know, we we had issue particularly with Danny necessarily, or with Brad necessarily, or we, we thought they were bad at their roles, but... There was something not quite working in the way decisions were being made, and that were that have felt a little misaligned with kind of the way the NBA has evolved. Uh, um, and I think I, I think Danny is kind of a, has a little bit been a, a GM that represented kind of an era of the NBA and the the way the NBA operates that had less player empowerment and more ability of teams to kind of assert control over how rosters would be structured and shaped. Um, And I I think he was operating in that style still. And I think the league has kind of shifted a little bit and and in a way that I don't think he really liked, would be my guess, or he thought was necessarily positive or or preferable direction. But I also think it's one he was less adept or less less effective at navigating. I don't think he was ineffective, but I think, I I just think all of the, these kind of variables in, in combination like pointed to some sort of sea change. And we talked about the need for some sort of sea change, whether it was a different person in the, in the kind of that, in the front office or a different person, you know, on the bench next to Brad. And I think this kind of artfully, Achieves those objectives, um, I would be surprised if if Brad Stevens came in on day one as effective as a GM as Danny has been. But um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to grow in that role and for the the organization to grow uh, by virtue of this transition.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had a, Danny had a heart attack in May of 2019. You know, that's that's a time, I think, in anyone's life when you really take a look at things and think, oh, my gosh, am I, like, that was a close call. What would happen if I did, you know, if if the worst happened, right? And and how can I set things up for that? So, I, I mean, it could, I think all of your points, Mike, are really good. Um, but I think, honestly, it could have just come down to his own knowledge of his health and his knowledge of Celtic's legacy and, and what he needed to do to kind of reinvigorate things and bring a fresh perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah, I don't I don't think that he was pushed out by any stretch. Um though I wouldn't be surprised if there have been some uncomfortable conversations, acknowledging that the team's trajectory uh maybe doesn't look quite as rosy as it did like two years ago, and there are some kind of personnel decisions and strategic moves out and decisions that were made, you know, by Danny that didn't play out and and the team was left in a position that they didn't necessarily expect or, or hope to be in. Um, but I don't think he was pushed out. I, 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 you know, I was speculating when we were kind of doing our very short prep for this kind of emergency reaction pod. Um, you know, there was that Mark Murphy tweet that you alluded to Adam earlier saying that, uh, you know Danny notified the the Celtics owner ownership of his intent to step down shortly after the the trade deadline and you know i i wonder and and we've talked about this in the past whether you know gms have kind of soured on doing deals with Danny Danny had a style of kind of trying i I've, I've always felt at least to to kind of if he wasn't really just clear cut winning a trade. He generally wasn't interested in doing it. And I wonder if kind of GM's tired of doing deals with Danny and started preferring other, other counterparts. And Danny kind of started seeing the writing on the wall Mm. as well. And that, that's part of why, you know, he's realizing he was just inherently becoming less effective in his ability to perform his role and was like, you know in consideration of all of these variables including Josh as you say like the health and the stress and the exhaustion involved in you know preparing for a trade deadline and then kind of hitting it coming out of it with a thud um he's probably like you know maybe maybe i could take a different direction
1: yeah i think that's really perceptive if if of you to notice that he may have seen that you know that his efficacy had gone down a little bit. I think there's there's this kind of overarching feeling of stuckness a little bit, you know, when you when you look at like Kevin Durant's comments uh after the after Kyrie, you know, stomped his foot on the on the logo, you know, he was like, "Hopefully we don't have to come back here again this year." Like <laughs> they really don't like being in Boston, and I have a feeling there's like a stuckness that other teams feel about dealing with Danny and dealing with the Celtics and trades and things like that. There's just like a, not a lot of movement or flow because the Celtics just do it their way. And maybe this kind of a change opens up that feeling a little bit. Um, and, and with younger perspectives, maybe we can address you know the, the issues that Kevin Durant was and, and Kyrie Irving have been bringing up that uh, I think are legitimate about our city and our fan base. Um,
0: i'm I'm sorry, what what is the connection? first of all, what is legitimate about what Kyrie Irving was saying? And second, what's the connection between what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving said, and Brett and uh, Brad Stevens t- taking over for Danny H as president?
1: I think that fan fan discipline, I think, is a thing specifically for places like Boston or Utah, places that players look at and have a bad taste in their mouth about that place. And I think that the organization and who runs it can change that dynamic both from, you know, how they deal with fans and how they market uh, those types of rules, um, but also how they, their perception is seen by players around the league. So I think it's directly connected. And, and I think, you know, when Katie's like, we don't, like, hopefully we don't have to come back there. It's not because, oh man, it's so difficult to play in front of that crowd. It's like, no, there's like an actual distrust, distaste, like dislike of the, the vibe in Boston.
0: You know, I think and comes, that's going to be fixed by having a new president of basketball operations?
1: Yeah, I think that when you're dealing with this, the race issue, which I think these two comments by Kyrie and KD are, are kind of hinting at, that, that the management can create a different kind of approach towards that in the same way that the NBA is doing so for the Black Lives Matter movement across the nation. I think the Celtics organization can do a little bit more in the Boston area in that regard. but let's talk about candidates. Yeah.
0: Well, I had, I had a couple of other questions first. Uh, what is the two questions? One, what is the impact on the rest of the front office with this move? Uh, does Mike Zarin stay? Uh, is he, was he hoping to get this job? Uh, He's been up for other front office positions as far as I know. Uh, and number two, what does this mean for the rest of the coaching staff? If Brad Stevens is the boss of the new coach, does that new coach have the full autonomy to bring in their own coaching staff? Is Brad going to ask to keep the ones, uh, the assistant coaches uh, who want to stay? Uh, and what does that mean for somebody who wants to come in and, and have their own autonomy? Mike, do you have any initial thoughts on this?
2: I, I, I have initial thoughts and guesses on both, um, and obviously total guesses. But on, on the front office, I mean, I'm sure there will be people that Brad brings in my guess is someone like Mike Zarin will certainly have the opportunity to stay. and my my hunch, and it's a you know total, you know, wild guess um with and read on Mike Zarin is that I think he just likes being in that role for the Boston Celtics. Yeah. like he's a diehard Boston Celtics fan that right what like didn't he get the job because he was just emailing stuff to danny or whatever or like posting stuff mm-hmm. and it was it was like he just was a crazy fan that yeah
1: the, the law degree know, and ability to yeah. be the legal counsel for the team helps right as
2: well yeah but no he's he's a highly educated qualified fan but he's a huge fan yeah um that kind of fell into a dream job and and i think you know there are some people that aspire to be in those top positions. And there are some people that are more comfortable being kind of the direct support to those individuals. And I think he falls into that latter bucket. And that's just my guess. Yeah. It might not be accurate, but uh, you know, the the fact that he's never ultimately sought a different position elsewhere. Um, and I think the fact that he wasn't kind of elevated here and, uh, you know, I I just don't get the, the sense that he was kind of, Uh, champing at the bit for that role
1: yeah Um, i I completely agree mike i think that those are great points and i would only add that there had to have been some internal conversations that he was a part of as a staff member there where he either was asked or gave his opinion about whether he wanted the job and and the idea of having him and brad together obviously was
2: most ideal
0: my only hope is that he stays
1: yeah
2: and i'm sure those two right have been working together a ton in the eight years Brad has been there, and I bet there's a really strong mutual respect. Like that like that's just my guess. This is all guesses. On on the coaching side, um I would assume or guess again, like, that Brad will hire someone and give them more or less full autonomy to, to fill out their staff with the request that they Interview the current staff if they're interested for assistant roles, uh, with and give them like serious consideration, but no obligation to hire any of them if they feel like they have better qualified individuals. And and there you know there's going to be some um, core alignment, ph- philosophical alignment with whoever Brad hires, and Brad, right? Like <laughs> one w- mm-hmm. one would think. Um, so you know presumably there's going to be some relevant philosophical connectivity with Brad's existing staff, but they may or may not be the best people in those roles. And I mean, we were wondering that aloud while Brad was sitting in that head coach's role. So I don't, you know, I, I don't get the sense that Brad is going to be totalitarian about it, but you know, maybe not, it's hard. It's hard to say.
1: I'm curious if Danny Ainge's son, Austin Ainge would keep his position or if mm-hmm. kind of the Ainge family is going to be phased out a little bit here in the front office. Um, and I think that you could imagine if Brad hires somebody he's as a head coach that he's already got a relationship with, that some of those assistants will, will stick on. But if he hires a big name that doesn't have a lot of affiliation with the Celtics, but will get respect from the players and is obviously a, a big-name coaching candidate, I can see the entire assistant coaching staff being gone.
2: So – that leads me to a question. Uh, did, are there any specific questions, Adam or Josh, that you wanted to raise before we start transitioning into that coaching conversation? No. Let's go. So on the, on the coaching front, I mean, I, I think that juxtaposition you just presented, Josh, is is really square, right? And, and I think one of the, the fair questions that I guess will just persist at this point about Brad Stevens as an NBA head coach was whether – he was ever going to have the cachet with the highest profile NBA players to to really kind of command their respect, right? The way that Doc Rivers could walk into a room and shout at, you know, KG or Paul Pierce and, and get their respect or um, the, you know, the way numerous guys in, in the NBA, you know, whether it's Popovich or who, who, whoever, um, Steve Nash <laughs> uh, could could achieve that. You know, and, and Brad had a number of things going against him, one of which is never playing in the league. So you you presented, Josh, this kind of uh, split, and it's one of, you know, multiple, one of the many dimensions at play here, but of, you know, someone that Brad is more familiar with um, and and maybe has ties to and from his kind of direct or indirect coaching tree or, or what have you, versus someone that maybe is better known and, and might have... Um, more kind of instant respect with players around the league. And so I'm curious, Josh, kind of uh, on that, on that split, like which side of the spectrum would you, would you fall, or would you prefer kind of Brad, Brad target his, his search?
1: Well, I would, I'd like to say that, you know, Greg Popovich never played in the league. Um, Some of the best coaches of all times were, you know the the solid role player type NBA players. If you look at hundred like percent, yeah, Lillie, I wasn't Steve Kerr, correct. right? Don Nelson, even Doc Rivers, right? So, um, it's having not played or having been a mediocre player doesn't necessarily give you that the cachet with the players. It's more about your experience. So if Brad Stevens had won you know, had, had gone to yeah, the Yeah, Eric Spolstra
2: never played, right? He yeah, was the exactly. NBA video coordinator and then he worked his way up. Yeah,
1: you know, 100%. Right, and so then you have, now all of a sudden you have these guys like uh, Steve Nash or, uh, you know, well, I guess Steve Nash hasn't won it yet, but you have championship coaches. The last few championship coaches have been like first-time head coaches. Um, so I think it's, there's there's a lot of guys who I think you could, like big names who you could bring in here that, you know, would get the cachet from the players, like your Ty Luz and your Jason Kidd specifically, Chauncey Billups, you know, those kinds of guys, um, immediately, I think, for me, I, I feel like there's three things at play that you're kind of looking for with the ideal candidate. You're definitely looking for cachet with the young guys. Um, I think that you're looking also at, at age. Like, we're not looking for a Kevin McHale to come in here at 63 years old while he's receiving AARP mail, You know, like that guy's not going to be relatable to the players. Um, So you need someone, I think, a little bit younger. And to me, based on looking at the tea leaves, I feel like you need someone who has some connection to the Celtics. You know, at least knowledge of the franchise's history, um, experience being on the team or on the coaching staff. And, you know, like being a part of keeping the, the tradition and the legacy alive. So
0: I don't understand why that matters. I think,
1: I think when if you have Danny Ainge in the front office, he does that for you. But if Danny Ainge is retiring and we're trying to turn everything over to somebody new, now you got you know Brad Stevens has a little bit of that. He's got eight years of that, and and it seems like he's super committed and um, has called himself a Bostonian, you know, in in public and things like that. So. But, you, you know, that's not a whole lot of experience with that type of a thing. And, and even Mike Zarin doesn't have a ton of experience with carrying over that type of tradition. So in this situation for hiring for this team, I think that you both need someone who's going to have cachet, but is also going to be able to, to help promote what being a Celtic is all about and what Celtic pride is.
0: So can any fan do that? Or is you, do, you have, do you have to have played for the team?
1: I mean, I think in this situation, you're looking for someone who's played for the team or coached with the coaching staff. Um, so, I mean, I got I got a whole list. I got 25 candidates here. I can go through, like, a couple of them and, and tell you guys who my top picks are. But this list is kind of broken up into three groups. There's, like, the players-turned-coaches, like the Ty Lues, the Chauncey Billups, Jason Kidds, uh, Sam Cassells, um, even some guys who, you know, there's people on the Celtics staff currently who I think are a little bit too young and inexperienced like Evan Turner or Kara Lawson um, or even Walter McCarty who was you know, previously on the Celtics staff. Um, then you've got you know some other guys who, who are out of jobs looking for one like Lloyd Pierce, who's 45 years old, the former Hawks head coach. His name has been brought up a lot. Um, you know, other young guys like Ime Udoka uh, or Jay Laranaga, who's who's on the team. But then there's people who, you know, maybe fans are thinking about that. It's kind of fun to talk about, like, what if Paul Pierce, who's looking for a job, were to come back and and be the head coach? Or, you know, I saw somebody mention, "Here comes Kendrick Perkins to be the head." Right? Like these are funny, but I think that it's not, it's not as unrealistic as one might think, considering how many people nowadays with cachet are stepping into the role of head coach getting an OG assistant coach next to them and, and doing a good job. Like look at Steve Nash right now. Look at Steve Kerr. Um, so I think someone like a Kevin Garnett is is actually uh, somewhat realistic if he wanted to do that. So my top five right now are Ty Lu, who's currently with the Clippers as the head coach. I would think that he'd wait for the playoffs to be over and, and to see what Kawhi may do even in the offseason. Um, you got Sam Cassell, who's an assistant under Doc Rivers right now with the Sixers. And he played for the Celtics when he was a veteran, was on some playoff teams. uh, And he was on that 2008 championship team, right? Um, And he was an assistant coach under Doc with the Celtics as well. So to me, that's different than a former Celtic like um, Chauncey Billups, who was with us as a rookie and then got dealt away and doesn't really have maybe a strong connection to Boston or to the team. Whereas Sam Cassell really knows, because he was a vet at the time, what it's like to be a leader for the Celtics, um, and then Adrian Griffin is another name I think that's important to to mention. Uh, go listen to the Ryan Rosillo podcast with him if you don't know who he is. He was just on there, but former Celtic, current assistant under Nick Nurse. All of Nick Nurse's assistants are, are going to be head coaches elsewhere, um, and he's kind of a low pay option for the. You know, that's one question for this ownership group is. Are they looking to pay for a big name or are they looking to save some money right now and, and get someone who builds, brings the continuity or kind of could work really well with Brad Stevens? Um, An and example of someone like that is Ronald Norad, who is kind of rising up the ranks quickly. Adam Spinella mentioned him in his most recent article on Celtics blog about potential coaches. And he's someone, he played for Brad. You know, this is the kind of guy who I think would would surprise a lot of people, but makes total sense if you're a coach and are in the coaching world. Like, he played for him, coached under him, now has moved on to other teams, uh, led a G League team, now is a Hornets assistant coach this last year, and just knows Brad inside and out, was recruited by Brad when he was a youngster. And so those two are connected in a way where, you know, fans might be upset, but it would make perfect sense to bring in a guy like that if you're Brad Stevens. Uh, and then lastly, Kevin Garnett, so Tyloo, k G Sam Cassell, Adrian Griffin, Ronald Norad, those are my five.
0: Wow, there's some great names on there, and some
1: wild cards so which you want to talk about first? uh I don't want to
0: talk about I- the wild cards. <laughs> <laughs> KG, really?
1: So if look, it, KG's the kind of guy when he walks into the building, he changes the culture. And obviously, yeah, but that doesn't mean he should coach. be a head coach. Of that course. doesn't mean he
2: should be a head coach. Of
1: course, like, but, and you could have said the same thing maybe about Steve
2: Nash. Um, no, I mean Steve Nash, like nothing about KG. KG doesn't hasn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it's different when you're a point guard versus the role. And the way KG operates, I think, is, is a little bit different. Um, and most most former, not all, obviously, but most of the former players that end up being head coaches, I mean, Ty Lue was a point guard. Doc Rivers was a point guard. Sure, sure Steve yeah. Nash was a point guard. Jason Kidd. Like, that's more common, the transition. And I just think KG, like, he's a relentlessly borderline psychotic competitor. Yeah. Um, But and he i think he liked pushing people to to greatness but i don't think he's a guy that wants to kind of sit and you know watch film and, in in a way to uh to like game plan against op- opponents like i just don't i think that's a little bit different than what he's the 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 type of role the vibe i get from the type of role he would like i'd love him as an assistant coach i would love him as our like souped up version of what eudonis Haslam is for yeah. uh the heat like that would be amazing I just don't think he's head coach
1: yeah because
2: I, no, th- I don't think because I don't mean, think he wants to I don't think he wants to right. carry himself that way I like, get I, 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 you
1: know, just imagine him pacing the sidelines as a, as a head coach it would be funny for, I, I mean I'm here for button, I'm here for the idea
2: room. of it I'm I I love the concept I just don't think it's realistic in the slightest <laughs> yeah um I you know Josh, I, I think it's a it, the the list makes sense though. I I agree kind of with Adam's earlier comment in that I think you're giving too much weight to this this kind of link to Celtics history. Like I and I and I I or at minimum I hope to be honest that you're giving too much weight to that. And I hope that the the decision being made might consider that a little bit. But I don't, I hope that's not a particularly strong influencer of the final decision, because to me, one of the issues that this team has had, again, as I, as I noted earlier, is it's been too caged into one way of thinking. And I, I think, like, I would be really disappointed if Brad Stevens hired someone like Ronald Norrett, not because I have anything against Ronald Norrett, but because I think Brad Stevens needs to be exposed to different and new perspectives and approaches to basketball like I think that'll make him better in his job as a talent evaluator and a manager of the team. And I I think I just think it will benefit the culture of the organization to get different views and perspectives in that are less familiar and maybe less versed in this the legacy of the organization, because I think there are pieces of the legacy of the organization that aren't jibing as well with the new NBA. So. You know, I I was pretty surprised in your list not to see someone like Chauncey Billups, who happens to have some connectivity, but not I mean not particularly relevant. He was here for like uh, a, a heartbeat before before getting traded out of town in in the middle of his rookie season, um, and he didn't leave with the most favorable impression of the Celtics organization as a result. Though that mostly had to do with Patino and and like Chris Gaston and everyone. Um, so, like, but I think Chauncey, you know, just extremely um, polished and mature kind of floor general when he was playing. Um, just extremely like just a high caliber dude, um, and and just a, a capital L leader. And I think the tight like I think he would be the type of person that would just be wonderful to have kind of leading an organization, leading a, a team with young up and coming stars, because I think he would, you know, and he has something, frankly, that you didn't include in your, your, um, your, your calibration there that I actually think is the, the more important part of Danny's departure, which is a championship. We're losing, we're losing someone that actually has won a championship. Brad certainly hasn't. And bringing in a coach that's gone to the, the finals and won, I think would be really important to have that in the organization. Ty Lue does, Sam Cassell does, KG does. So it's not like your list was devoid of that that piece. But I, I think to me, that would be a a piece I would care more about than the, the link to Celtics institutional knowledge.
0: Yeah, I was surprised, Josh, also because you're a coach. I kind of expected you to have uh, a different kind of an insight into what makes, uh, what would make a good coach in this situation with somebody who only has coaching experience, taking over the front office, um, as somebody, I mean, that that's gotta be an awkward, potentially awkward position for a new coach to step into. Um, and Dan and, uh, Danny and, and, uh, Brad, Brad is go- may have a desire to to advise in certain ways. He's going to have to check himself in real ways um, and allow this new coach to to coach with with their own autonomy. Um, I I think there's going to be yeah. if if fans have not gone to Adam Spinella or Coach Spins' article on Celtics blog, it's a good article. It's got a nice list of of internal and established uh, folks uh, in the coaching ranks who who would be candidates here. I also think there's going to be a couple of candidates who come out of the woodwork, um, guys that are coaching in the league right now in the playoffs. Uh, I think one or two are going to get fired and the Celtics may have their eye on, on a Quinn Snyder or somebody like that, depending on what happens in Utah, um, or, or that kind of a thing. Um, I would love to see the Celtics be the first team to hire a female head coach, Kara Lawson, Becky Hammond. There's other names out there. I would love to see that, uh, and I think that both of those that I mentioned would be great candidates. Um, I think they have a lot of experience. I think they're respected players. I think that uh, NBA players these days respect female players more than past generations. Mm-hmm. So I do think that they would carry the weight that Josh, you were describing that a former player needs to have. Um, and I think they're, they're really smart and they, they can do the job. Um, so there may, be, there may be other options out there.
1: Yeah, Kara Lawson was with the Celtics staff with Brad Stevens for one year and then took over as the head women's coach at Duke. Um, so she would be coming from that position. And obviously Becky Hammond has been with the Spurs and Greg Popovich and is you know more and more seemingly likely as the the heir apparent to pop over in, with, in San Antonio. So I don't know if it makes sense for her to take a job in Boston uh, if we're looking for somebody who's hopefully going to be around for at least a few years. Um, and I'm not sure how much time Pop has left or if they have internal plans that are unspoken. I think the Spurs and the Celtics, I think, are two of the best teams at keeping things, keeping news like this in house. Um, and so, you know, I, I could see there being a plan for Becky Hammond to take over at a certain period of time. And so I can't see her taking this job. But if they're finalists for our job, I think that that bodes well for at least the Celtics staff doing the right thing by, you know, looking long and hard about hiring females.
2: So I, I think we're about to wrap up, but I just wanted to get a quick kind of gut reaction uh, from both of you guys on one one important question that we haven't touched on yet. What do you think the players are? How do you think the players feel about this right now? Do you think they're happy, upset? Do you think it like, what do you think the, the spectrum of reactions is? Like is Tatum happy or, or, <laughs> upset right now
1: yeah that's a good question i think that the the star players i think are are more like oh wow that's interesting or they already knew and didn't say anything um and they're kind of wondering what the future holds as far as like they know they have a say in what happens in their organization let's talk you know specifically smart brown and tatum they know they have a say in what goes on with this organization they know that they're going to be looking for someone who they can relate to as a as a coach um and then, you know, for like bench players, and like, like people like Shemi Ojale, they're wondering now that Stevens is, is the GM. if, if that Shemi's getting
2: a raise, man. <laughs> like are they getting a raise or are they
1: now getting dumped because, you know, they may not be the, the best fit for a new coach. So I think that there's more fear for the bench players, actually. Um, and there's more kind of intrigue for the stars and those who have clout and say
0: for most of these players this is the first transition of any kind in the front office in the coaching staff that they've experienced they've had people like carol Lawson come and go but they've never had a, a head coach change so this has to be a surprise and a bit of a shock to them just because it's the first time that they've experienced it um and and so there'll be a transition period and and there may be uh uh, I'm thinking about like different transition theory stuff. Uh, there may be a period of time where they're kind of like mourning the shift and, and they're they're going into, uh, there. Un- there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen next. And then there's uh, another transition once the new coach gets hired. So they, they will go through all of that. And, and I don't think the personalities we're talking about are not uh, overly reactive guys. So I don't think it'll be a huge deal. Uh, but it, yeah, it ha- definitely has to be a surprise. Whether they found out like the rest of us now, or they knew going into the playoffs is interesting to me. I mean, this this team played really all season including recently uh as if they knew that this was not the year. And it would not shock me if they knew if the, if Tatum knew a month or two ago that this was happening and that was part of of some of the decisions they made.
1: Yeah, the 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 other thing to touch on right now is what the players are feeling is the same thing that that the fans and people like us are, are feeling right now we're all exhausted and you know the grind of being a coach is like I feel like something that you guys are experiencing right now because just what kind of a season this was or the last two seasons this was with the bubble and then the quick turnaround and 77 games later here we are losing to Kyrie and the newest super team but like it's a different kind of tired this this type of Exhaustion that we're feeling right now, um, and any fans who've watched every single game is feeling that too. You know, and that's what a lot of coaches and players are feeling right now. There's relief, there's exhaustion, and and that kind of brings on new opportunities. Um, And I think it's kind of cool that that's something that that grind that coaches and players really know on a deep level, and the release of that and what that feels like. I feel like the fans, you know, are feeling that on a level that they haven't. Ever before in, in a you know quote unquote normal season, um, you, know, you guys are tired, right?
0: <laughs> that you have to you have um, to think about how that factored into Danny Ainge's decision to retire as well. Yeah, you have to think about how it factored into Brad Stevens' decision to move into the front office. I mean, that Brad has always been a coach, and he's got young kids, and he has to travel a lot as a coach. And this is going to he's still going to work his butt off, but this is going to give him more time at home, um, and uh, that matters.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I'm definitely exhausted, Josh, though. I'm exhausted, both following the team, following their lethargy, and uh, you know, actual regular work, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of things that we could talk about as far as next steps and things that we're looking forward to in the future. Uh, I think the first of which uh, was tweeted by Keith Smith yesterday morning, Wednesday morning. Um, he tweeted that Kemba said he is not planning on sitting the back ends of back-to-backs next year. And so there's little tidbits like that, like, oh, Kemba's going to play both nights of back-to-backs. Like, that is refreshing stuff, and we can start looking towards other refreshing news like that now that the season's over, and we can all take a a little rest.
0: And that comment by Kemba comes on the heels of a rumor that the Celtics will be shopping Kemba Walker this offseason. We we will have a lot of time to talk about this offseason, player development, roster construction, who to hire as a coach, Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff, NBA, and at Coach Motenko to get Josh. If you're still listening, you are a part of Celtics Pride.